Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. I'm glad that you're here with me. I'm going to spend a lot of time on my radio show this week talking about football. I know, I know. Why are you talking about football? We're still a couple weeks away from training camp. Well, here's why. Um, Basically, we're having a little bit of fun with the listening audience on this one. Since the show moved to noon to two central time on the score, if you're listening on the radio.com app, you can listen to that. You can stream it live. People have been, because they know that I used to cover the Bears. I do a Bears show every Sunday during football season with Alex Brown and Matt Forte and, and Lance Briggs. And they want to know my thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky. Well, I keep telling people, we're not doing that show today. We're not doing the Is Mitch Good show today. That's what we've been saying since March 28th, the first show that we did. The time has come. We are now going to do the Is Mitchell Trubisky Good show, and we're going to do it all week. And it's going to be fun, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Which is why I wanted to take the time in today's podcast to talk about what happened in the first half of the season with the two baseball teams because I'm not I'm not sure I'll have enough room in the shows over the next few days to discuss it. So why don't we start with the White Sox? With the White Sox and them finishing up their the unofficial first half. The first half was really you know, ended like what a week ago or whatever. But with the White Sox finishing up the first half, that I thought was a little bit surprising. Them going 42 and 44. So I'm bad at math. It's 86 games, which means there's 76 left, which means for them to lose 100 games, they would have to only win 20 the rest of the way. So already they're better than what anyone expected them to be. And I think probably people over on 35th and Shields thought that there would be they wouldn't be this good this quickly. Here's what's exciting about it. Rick Hahn has talked about over the last, I would say, six months when discussing this particular season that the success of this season comes into play if you have a White Sox team that is winning games because of young guys and not because you brought in an old free agent, the Yonder Alonzo thing obviously didn't work out, not if it's guys like John Jay, and even if it's a guy like Jose Abreu, if, if it's those guys who are carrying the weight of your team, it doesn't feel good. But here's what has gone on and happened. Tim Anderson turned into a superstar. And I don't mean that he's a finished product as a player because he's not a finished product as a player. But 
he showed you enough and played well enough that when he decided that he was going to chuck his bat and that there was going to be beef with the Kansas City Royals because of that chuck bat, we saw a guy ascend from being just another guy to being someone that people are interested in. And I think that there are a bunch of reasons why people are interested in Tim Anderson, including the fact that he's a, a black American player and there are some people who clutch their pearls and wring their hands over the fact that there aren't more people like Tim Anderson who have incredible athleticism and choose to play baseball instead of playing basketball, football, soccer, or whatever. So I think that that added a, a different element to the conversation about Tim Anderson and, and him becoming a bit of a superstar. But him jumping off and having a good season, and he'll probably still end up being 2020, maybe even 25, 25, depending on how quickly he comes back from, from his injury, that's significant. The fact that you have Yoan Moncada, who last year struck out 217 times. Remember how frustrating it was to watch him look at a called third strikes and watch him understand where the strike zone was. It's a lot like Chris Bryant, and, and what I mean by that is a guy who knows what a strike is and doesn't want to swing at balls, who has such good eyesight that doesn't want to swing it at, at balls that aren't strikes. But they end up having, on those pitches that are close, they're forced to do that because of the way that an umpire is going to call a game. So here's Yoan Moncada trying to figure out how he's going to how he's going to go about making the adjustment to Major League Baseball. And he made that adjustment this year. He still has some called third strikes, but he is now on pitches that he can't abuse. And it's one of the things that, that hitting coach Todd Steverson talked to him about. On some of those close ones, you're going to have to foul them off. But on those in your happy zone, you got to be more aggressive. We've seen him ambush more, meaning going after first pitch strikes. We see him be the player that most people thought he could be when they were looking at, him, at the prospect rankings of him being number one on a lot of people's rankings around Major League Baseball. The conversion to third, I think, is also really interesting. That You have a guy that had spent a lot of time playing in the middle infield, didn't look completely comfortable, and then to transition over to, to playing third base, man, that is not easy. And the fact that he seems more comfortable at third base than at second base, and I know that he had some... He has some uh, history there at third. In fact, Rakan told me he won some sort of gold glove in Cuba that nobody's seen. That's a quote from the general manager, by the way, <laughs> that no one's seen. But he looks comfortable. So there you have Anderson and Moncada. Aloya Menez signs the, the extension at the, the beginning of the year, so there was no more drama, Mary J. Blige, about him coming up to the big leagues. You don't have to worry about service time. Just knock it out the park. And that's what he's done. He's come up here and hit a whole bunch of home runs, driven in. The RBI total is low because people aren't getting on in front of him. But in big moments, whether it was his debut at Yankee Stadium or him taking on the Cubs, both at Wrigley and on the south side, 
the moment doesn't seem too big for him. And he has excelled. I still think that he's probably somebody's DH, and maybe he's the first baseman after Jose Abreu is gone. Uh, By the way, I don't want to see Jose Abreu go. I agree with him. He's been here when things have been bad. It'd be nice to be here when things are good, and he's still valuable, and you've seen that over the last few weeks where he's been on a tear, and now he's got that, that OBP up back around 320. He's a lifetime like 350 guy. And he's going to the All-Star game because he's one of the league leaders in RBIs in the American League. But this is focused on the young guys. So now you've got Anderson, Moncada, Aloy. Let's add Lucas Giolito to the mix. Giolito was the worst pitcher in the American League last year. The worst. And now he's going to the All-Star game because he made some mechanical changes. And he started to trust his stuff and he has more confidence. You watch the way that he throws his changeup and his changeups, plural, and you see a guy that feels like he can get folks out. And when he walks to the mound, White Sox fans are confident, and they should be confident because look at what he's become. It's so fun to watch him. It's so fun. That you you have a guy that maybe the you turn the lights on like it, it's switched on for him, and you go that's really great. I'm really happy for that dude. That he seems to get it. He's a sensitive guy, and I mean that in the the best way possible. He took to heart some of the the coaching and teaching tools that the White Sox wanted to put in front of him, and he has excelled. And I appreciate that about him, that that he really took the coaching and wanted to make himself better. So there you have Anderson, Moncada, Aloy, Giolito. Then you start looking at some of the other additions, like Aaron Bummer, for example, who's been really good out of the pen. James McCann, who, let me speak on James McCann for just a second. I really like James James McCann. He's been on the show. He's been on the podcast. I've talked catching with him in the clubhouse. I think that he's got a, a great idea about how to do this job, how this job is part psychologist, part teammate. And then you have the offensive side of it. He's been tremendous offensively this year, and that's why he's going to the All-Star game. I think that the White Sox may have stumbled upon something, that this was maybe more of a stopgap measure when initially they thought that that they were going to bring him in and they just need someone to catch innings. And what they found is a catcher that cares quite a bit about studying, relaying messages, talking with, with pitchers, trying to get them on track, helping Lucas Giolito get on track. And it's... It's been so fun, and it's gratifying. I, I imagine for him, even more so, that you're seeing McCann go to the All-Star game and maybe find a place where he belongs. There are some people who have felt, and I, I think most people have uh, come around to my way of thinking on this, that he's so hot that perhaps you trade him and get more assets back. I think that his value goes way beyond the offensive production that you're getting this year. I feel like James McCann's value 
is what he does behind the plate and what he does inside the clubhouse. And with his age, the fact that this is a 27-year-old catcher and not a 34-year-old catcher. This was a 34-year-old catcher who had caught fire early on in the season and hit well enough to go to the All-Star game. You trade him because ideally he's not going to be here when it's fully actualized and fully realized. But McCann is young enough that he can be here while the rest of the parts come together for the White Sox. I love it. I love what what I've seen. I still have a lot of questions about Ricky Renteria as a manager, as weird as it sounds, because overall things are going great for the White Sox. So what, like, should there be a problem? But overall, they're they're doing way better than we expected. I expect that they will hover around 500 for the rest of the season. I would say a minus of five games is probably the maximum that you're going to see because the American League's not very good this year and the White Sox have talent that is emerging around the diamond, which is good. I'm not sure about Ricky, though. I'm I'm just – he still does stuff that I go, uh, like bunting in the American League overall is a problem for me. He, he loves to play some of the small ball, and some guys you can do it with, but not everybody. They've – They've even, but maybe I should give him some credit because a guy that I wanted cut in Leori Garcia is having one of his best seasons, and Ricky stuck with him. So maybe that matters more than than the tactical. The White Sox seem to believe in him as a manager. I have questions on whether or not the manager of the future is down in Birmingham in Omar Vizquel. I'm not sure how much longer the White Sox are going to be able to keep Vizquel in their organization without a serious promotion. I don't mean he's managing Charlotte. I imagine there are going to be plenty of people who are going to come sniffing around Omar Vizquel over the next couple of years and maybe the next couple of months. So I'm not sure how long they're going to keep him, but considering that that, that guy is there with uh, Luis Robert, and, well, not anymore because now Robert is, is uh, going to AAA, that he's been with all of these young guys is is great. I didn't mention Dylan Cease, and I probably should have. It, it is only one start, so you don't want to get too crazy. But another guy who I felt like the moment didn't didn't feel too big. The moment wasn't too big for him. So here we are at the halfway point, the unofficial halfway point for the White Sox season. And even though we're talking about a team that's two games under five hundred. I, I would I would say I'm really pleased with what they are and and what they what I can see them becoming. Uh, I think that that over the last few months, the plan for the White Sox has started to crystallize a little bit. And it makes it easier to go, okay, I see it, I see it. And that's that's without their they still have more prospects, which is kind of crazy. Uh, to to get to the major leagues and an American league that 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 is very top heavy it leads you to go man what if Rodon and Kopech would have been healthy cuz you look at the you look at the White Sox record with Lucas Giolito starting versus the rest of the pitching staff all right so this is from Chris Kompka he he does the number crunching over at NBC Sports Chicago 
The White Sox are 12 and 4 when Lucas Giolito starts. They're 29 and 39 when he doesn't. Actually, they're they're now 20 30 and 39 after yesterday's game. So, 9 games under 500 when that guy doesn't start. If you had a representative starting rotation, imagine what the White Sox could be this year. Which leads me very excited to see how this year concludes. Do guys uh, burn out? Are they are are they as good as they were in the first half? What are the adjustments going to be like? The other thing that is encouraging is that they're twenty four and twenty at home. They're four games over at home, and if you look at them from the the middle of April on, you're talking about a team that's playing above five hundred. So all in all, the the first half report on the White Sox is thumbs up, man. The arrow is pointed in the right direction, and things are going the right way. And it makes me happy. It makes me happy for a lot of people on the south side that have worked hard and have done their best to try and make this a, a an easier transition. And now we get to see. Now the heavy lifting. Uh, Rick Hahn kept talking about the end of the beginning. Now we get to see what the middle looks like. And... Early early returns are that the, the middle is going to be pretty good. So that's my first half wrap-up on the White Sox. That's what I think of them. I will have my first half wrap-up on the Cubs for you on tomorrow's Loho Daily. I appreciate you listening and indulging me, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Please go back and, and look at other podcasts. We've had some ones that are not time-sensitive and some really fun ones, so Subscribe, please rate it, give us five stars, uh, that helps, and and uh, tell your friends about it. You don't have to tell your friends, but subscribe and give us five stars. That would be great. Appreciate you listening to Loho Daily. I'll catch you tomorrow with a preview, or preview, a review of the Cubs' first half for you, along with some Joe Madden stuff that I want to share. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Talk to you tomorrow.